0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News, and I am joined this week by my two wonderful co-hosts.
1: I'm Huai Chen Bu, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York.
2: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area.
1: So you guys know that I recently moved to New York about... Four months ago i think and um i moved to a wonderful neighborhood called sunnyside it's in queens and um i was so happy to recently discover that there is going to be an nbc comedy show called sunnyside that is um created and executive produced by cal pen as well as executive produced by mike shore so you guys that may ring a bell to you. If you don't know who Mike Shore is, he is the um, the creator and producer behind hits such as The Office, Parks and Rec, uh, The Good Place, uh, co-creator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and most recently executive producer of a TV series called Abbey's. Um, he got his start at Saturday Night Live, uh, winning two emmys for his work there before moving on to the office and kind of making a name for himself and finally creating his own baby with parks and rec which is one of all of our favorite shows so um we're here to talk today about um just Mike Shore because we've done episodes about some of his previous uh shows before so we've talked about the good place on previous episodes as well as brooklyn Nine Nine, and you can tell we're all big fans of his um his filmography, and uh we're going to talk about why that is and why he's kind of the perfect t v producer for this age um so we're gonna go through some of the running themes of his shows and just uh think of a nice appreciation of all of the the stuff that he's given to us and and uh, also have some ho- yeah, talk about some of the um the nice uh steps that he's made recently, like um with universal t v he recently inked a huge deal, a nine-figure deal with them. So we'll probably be seeing much more of Mike Shore um, in the future. So uh, Anya, I want to – can you kick us off and just tell us uh, what you think it is about like Mike Shore's works um, that just kind of resonate with you?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So, I mean, you mentioned that Parks and Rec is one of our – all our favorite shows. It is probably my favorite show of all time. That would probably be like my Desert Island show, the show that I would pick over anything else. Um, And it is his sheer optimism and idealism and, you know, compassion for humanity and the fact that his comedy never punches down, it always punches up, that he sees the best in his characters and brings out the best in them. And he's not about mean comedy or, you know, comedy that is steeped in stereotypes and cynicism and, you know making fun of people um unless they deserve to be made fun of like you know jeremy jam or someone of the likes um so it's just you know it's the fact that he's so positive and you know we've talked so many times we've had many episodes about like nice core and we all really like media that is inherently nice and good to people and i think mike sure is kind of the embodiment of that on television um, especially in the sitcom space, when sitcoms, I think sitcoms especially can be a place of like cynicism and mean humor, or kind of dumb humor, or you know like um, bazinga, yeah, bazinga, Stuff exactly. Like what Chuck Lorre creates, <laughs> um, and make sure just brings something very different to the table, and I love it. I'm just so happy whenever I watch his shows. Willoughby,
1: um, I think you are the one who've watched, I think, the my, most Mike sure shows because you're the one of us who has seen all of The Office. Um, can you talk to a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so The Office is... It's not exactly his baby. It was Greg Daniels' baby, but he was definitely like a writer on it for like almost the entirety until he took off for Parks and Rec, which was during the writer's strike, um, and it was uh, originally going to be a spin off of The Office, and then they changed it to be its wholly own universe, which I think was a very smart decision because The Office universe is not exactly the Mike Sure Sheer- universe that we've come to expect <laughs> of, of like all nice core and like everybody is very ne- good, good to each other and nice to each other. Um, but there are aspects of what we will see in Parks and Rec and The Good Place and Brooklyn and Nine. With characters like Jim and Pam, um, and like the the just the love and t- and care that goes in, that goes into all these characters, the the comedy itself of The Office was not. It was sort of like cringy, and you know you sort of like were not, you know, smiling the entire time. Like a it's, lot of the Michael Scott stuff. Kind was of an just effect of, sort like of the, the
1: original British show, right, which was like very cringe comedy.
2: Yeah. That's the thing is that it was a remake of a of a British cringe comedy, and so like there was only, but by the time it took off as being like a nationwide hit, they sort of like lessened that to be more about the other characters, because like the off the British office only had like what twelve episodes over three years or whatever, so like it wasn't there wasn't so much to go off of, so they did their own thing and they they skewed more towards positivity by the end especially in the final season when they were like reflecting back on like all the good times they had here. But it also at the same time, like there was a lot of cringe still with Michael Scott's character. That was always sort of like the worst part of the office for me, even though Steve Carell was great. There were a lot of moments where I was just like, "Ooh!" like secondhand embarrassment was like at an all time high. Like my anxiety levels were off the roof <laughs> whenever I was watching the office. So like, that's why like, I, it took me a while to, to complete watching the office because I was like, I don't want to, deal with this awkward humor because like parks and rec was much, very much more my style of like it was funny it was uh nice core before nice core was a thing and, and like i loved all the characters and whereas i could pick and choose which characters i liked on the office like they were all pretty much funny but like i, I had my like jim was probably my favorite as, as well as andy um who was played by ed helms um and so like the office itself was, is a mixed bag. Um, a, like my favorite seasons are like four and five or six, like, or like middle, middle of the, of the, of the run, because by the end they were just sort of like, just milking that cash cow. Mm. Um, so parks and rec. Yeah. is really like my favorite of the four, I guess where, it, you know, cause there's two in development and there's just, the four that he's helped out and of course his snl stuff is good he's obviously won academy uh, emmy awards for that um but yeah that's my take on the office it's good but not great
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting when you watch the first two seasons of parks and rec because you can kind of see that stamp of the office especially in the first season and um oh. i actually didn't know that it was meant to be a spin-off of the office but it makes sense especially in the first season when they were trying to make leslie note to be a um uh what's the steve carell's name character's name again Michael, Michael Scott. Scott to be like a Michael <clears throat> Scott type character where she was really cringy and everyone else kind of scoffed and looked down on her but then her character and everyone else's character evolved into her being like this big go-getter who kind of inspired everyone with her optimism and got them to become better people which is such an interesting reversal of what you see in the office and um I like that through Parks and Rec Mike Mike sure just kind of figured out his own style of humor and comedy that we now see is so strong in The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine Nine. Even though he didn't he doesn't showrun Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, he co-created it, but it definitely still has like a very strong like Mike Sure sort of
2: imprint on it. Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Because like even when the Good Place podcast was off because they were done with episodes, they had a two part special where they talked to uh, cast members and crew members of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because like the 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 DNA of, of those pod of those shows are so entwined with each other yeah. that it just made perfect sense to like talk about it because it was like there's a lot of parallels to all these you know like we'll get into like the theme- themes and stuff there's and there's always like similar character tropes like they turn Jerry into Hitchcock and Scully but also made Hitchcock and Scully their own characters mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I actually, that actually brings up a good point that I wanted to discuss, Willoughby, is that, like, the I think the evolution of Mike Sure is also very interesting, because, like, you guys were talking about, like, started on The Office, you know, which he did not create, but he was a big part of, and kind of going to Parks and Rec, and how Parks and Rec felt like The Office of a bit, until it became its own Mike Schur creation, and how it's kind of evolved through Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place, where, like, The Good Place is now... A sitcom like we've never seen before, dealing with like very big ideas and big themes and very serial storytelling with like grand arcs. And I think the other thing is that Mike Sure has really honed in his own sort of punch-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Because I think you know the one the one thing I would change about Parks and Rec is how they treat Jerry. Yeah, I was going to talk
1: about that too. That's kind of the one.
0: uh, blemish of the show really agreed because Jerry is wonderful mm-hmm. like Jerry is a he's so nice I and mean, he 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 works hard and he will do anything for Leslie and he doesn't deserve like half the crap well any of the crap they give him really I mean I know that's why the writers gave him that like perfect family to kind of compensate for the way the other characters treated him but it's like that one it's like the one instant sort of a punching down yeah. in Parks and Rec that I don't love And then you see, as Willoughby said, Hitchcock and Scully are kind of become the Jerry characters of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But the difference is that Hitchcock and Scully deserve the derision. Mm -hmm. Like, they are idiots and they mess things up a lot. And so, like, half the time when the characters are mocking them, they, like, deserve it, whereas Jerry never did. Yeah. Um, And even then, Hitchcock and Scully still, like, get to be part of the team and, like, still get to... Yeah. And they've gotten like
1: more um, uh, screen time now too, ever since Chelsea Peretti left, and they got like their own backstory and stuff, which was really fun. And I like that they come into their own, yeah. And like, um, yeah, they're on the credits too. And um, I do like that they're still kind of like these mean, idiotic characters because, and like, kind of deserving of that derision. But they are characters unto their own that you can enjoy um, in that, in like that kind of role that they play.
0: Yeah, and so I think yeah. you know, the, going from Jerry to them, you can see how Mike Schur has developed his own voice and his own sense of comedy and, like, how to write characters like these and treat them without having the kind of Jerry unfortunateness of it all.
2: Uh, what were you um, going to say, like, Oh, I was going to say, like, Hitchcock, Hitchcock and Scully have their own personalities. Like, you can't really... Maybe at first you couldn't distinguish which one was which, but, like, now you cut ca- like five or six seasons and you know that Hitchcock is the uh, misogynist and the sexist and like really repulsive whereas Scully is repulsive but in terms of like his eating habits and like he like I, I think like as a person he's like a good he's like more of a good person but he's sort of still sort of like bumbling fool with like poor eating habits I guess I don't know um whereas with like Hitchcock, there's like clear like he's not good per he's not a good person. Yeah, yeah.
0: I am um, also very excited to learn if um what is it Kelly? If Kelly is Scully's wife or dog? Oh yeah, oh, I love that that's a because cold open. Cold that was my favorite. <laughs> I know because Dan Gore recently did a Reddit AMA and he someone asked him about that and he said that we will be learning <laughs> who Kelly is like which. Which one she is? (laughs) Amazing, and I'm very excited to see. Do you guys have any bets about who Kelly is? I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess dog as well.
2: Okay, I feel like I I feel like I'm leaning towards wife, Mm -hmm. but well, he I know he had a wife, and then she divorced him.
1: Yeah, he has an ex, and it was like
2: a throwaway joke. It was like a throwaway joke that his wife was divorcing him on the phone. Yeah, so like I think it's the dog.
0: Yeah. But I we'll know. see. I mean, I feel like it could go either way with the show. Like, they could make both work and be hilarious.
2: But I really, I can't, I, I, I hope they, like, call it back though. As, as in, like, we're all just like, called
1: it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I like that the, we're going to go on a little Brooklyn Nine-Nine tangent right now, um, but I like that they are it's paying the off of long jokes. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, for example, we finally met one of Amy's brothers after in the pilot, they talked about how she had seven brothers and that made her like very competitive. And finally we meet one of them. And of course it's the the angel child, the golden child, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is just so good in this episode. Who's an
0: actual golden child I in know. real
1: life i love how they just lampooned that too it's like the perfect casting because he is in reality like a multi-hyphenate talented person and in here they're like oh he's a, a ace, ace cop he's a lieutenant he and um he's also a medic and stuff and then i like the constant jokes too of him like not knowing anything about pop culture because that was great Ugh, it was so good
0: and it was it was so delightful because, like, we know, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda got on that show because he's such a big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. And, like, he always tweets about it. And it was just so cute because you could tell he was just so excited yeah. to be there. I mean, never forget when, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was canceled by Fox originally and, like, people like Guillermo del Toro... And Mark Hamill and Lynn Manuel Miranda were all like tweeting about it and texting each other about it, and I was like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my Sweet life." Be a fly on the wall of that group chat that they're in. I
2: right? Just... Do you think? Do you think Lin Del Toro uses emojis?
1: I he bet has he does. To, right? He's a, he a human emoji. Because
2: like, because like Mark Hamill like uses hashtags a little bit too much, <laughs> um, and and like Lynn Manuel Miranda is really good at social media. So like, I feel like that group chat is lit
0: it is oh it's definitely absolutely and it's a very positive i mean it's like the mike sure of group chat because i'm sure it's all very positive and oh yeah genuinely good people who are just like i love these things and you're just like okay
2: guillermo del toro needs to uh guest direct an episode yes the halloween halloween episode yeah that would be mark hamill has to guest star as like a villain or something
0: Ooh, that'll be good. Also, John Mullaney should guest.
1: Yes, because yes. he just. Oh, should. Oh,
2: definitely. The thing is, like, he, you know, he's 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 forayed himself into into sitcoms before, and it didn't last like seven episodes. But I think a, a, if he's not doing a Seinfeld ripoff, he's good. Yeah, like, he was great <laughs> in Spider Verse, and he's good in uh, some other. He did something recently that I can't remember what he was in. Um, but oh yeah, oh he's like. One of the voice actors on Big Mouth. I haven't watched the show, but is, I know he's yeah. like... that's his and Nick um, and show, like, right? And like, oh, hello is great. So like, I think that I think that he would work well on on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, maybe as like a witness to a crime, <laughs> street smarts.
1: Yeah, I really like. <laughs> I I do. But that one thing I like about Brooklyn Nine Nine is that as it goes on, and it's like in its what sixth season now, um, with it's unusual that sitcoms that last that long. Will just only get nicer because usually they get they kind of tend to get meaner or like you know punch down like we were talking about before but brooklyn 99 is one of those shows that just got gets better and nicer and has more development for its characters and that's something that i think we see in a lot of mike sure shows is that there is development and arcs for all of these characters which is something kind of rare in sitcoms because they're they're all about the status quo but for Parks and Rec, you see so much development. They're so different from the characters that you meet at the beginning, um, especially with like April, um, even with Ron, like you see all of this change and a lot of it is because of how they've been influenced by Leslie Nope. And I really love that. Like they get better and um, just have so much more to them. And I, I love that
2: literally by the final season of parks none of them are working in the parks office
1: yeah that's true
2: like that's the funniest thing is that like they're like we can go so far and be like they're not even there but they'll still be together in their hearts Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and they've all they've all grown in their own ways and like you know they've managed to kind of carve out careers for themselves based on their own passions but also based as ht was saying on like the inspiration that Leslie gave them and the drive that she gave them to like pursue their own passions. And, you know, um, I almost said Nick, but Ron, Ron Swanson, not Nick Offerman, even though they seem very similar um, in some ways, like the fact that Ron, en- Ron ends up at like the parks, um, like the national park and stuff. And it- it's just so perfect. And the fact that, you know, he ends up with a wife and having two stepchildren and, you know, how, how he grew you could never really see that with him before early on like you met his ex-wives met the Tammies and you're like <laughs> the Tammies
1: uh, are hilarious the Tammies. Love are the, the best Tammies.
0: megan Mullally um, is so great as as tammy too
2: She has got too. <laughs> he's got john swanson too <laughs> yeah. his son
0: and like you see but you like you see him with those women versus like diane and kind of the the father he becomes to her daughters and the growth that he you know has in the show based on his relationship with Leslie, based on the fact that he sort of takes April under his wing. Like even before he meets Diane, he sort of has a pseudo daughter in April. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's just the growth and the evolution of these characters is really, really beautiful. Um, And I wanted to talk about a specific element of this growth of characters with you guys, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that Mike sure does really well, that everyone kind of always raves about are his romantic relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Mike sure does the thing that no other creators do in that he gets together a romantic relationship and keeps them together. And the impossible. show. It's impossible. It's never been done before. Worse. It gets only better.
1: Like. Ben and Leslie are just so wonderful and sweet together and their comedy when they are a couple is even better than before like you have yeah. I I love their will they won't they but then I loved even more when they were together and like for example Leslie would bring home 31 cats and dogs
0: <laughs> and like you know they, they they are the one couple that like have had like they had a breakup mm-hmm. But it didn't last very long, and the show wasn't about, like, dragging it out or making it, like, painful or anything. It was just kind of a natural thing that happened, especially because it wasn't really – it was kind of out of their control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also got the hilarious Model UN episode out of their breakup. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I will good. always be grateful for that we episode. We do about
2: tide, Peru. We got the freaking moon.
0: <laughs> the only up, thing bah, you'll bah. The only thing I'll be waving is, uh, what is it? Your head on a, your head your on a flag mother. in front of your weeping mother. Dear Lord. <laughs> Dear Lord. I'm and the great thing about bitch. Ben and Leslie is that like, you know, they get together and once they are together, it is all about support. Mm-hmm. You know, they each one has their own ambitions and they support each other through these ambitions and they work through compromises and through difficult choices and the comedy stays the same, and like you said, she only gets better. And there's nothing is brought down by the fact that like the main couple is together now. Yes. And you know, I will always be here for Leslie, like appreciating Ben's butt <laughs> or them doing like historical role play, <laughs> or the or, fact that she loves Joe Biden so much, and... or him being
1: really into her filibustering in roller skates. Yes. I I know this is a dire situation, but I swear this is a sexual fantasy of
0: mine. <laughs> Benjamin Wyatt is one of my all-time favorite TV show characters. Like, Leslie Nope is, like, the hero we all deserve, but mm-hmm. Ben Wyatt is just a delightful little... Awkward white I, man, I and I
1: love, love with him. him in Parks and Rec. And Adam Scott is so good as that, as just like this sweet, adorable, nerdy, good natured character. And he's also so good as a horrible, nasty character, too. I love oh. that Mike sure does that and like is able to switch oh. those two.
2: That's how I so knew him funny. First.
0: I... Yeah, well, because you saw him in Step Brothers, right?
2: Yeah, and he's a dick in Step. He's Brothers.
0: a dick. So I had never seen Step Brothers. So my first introduction to Adam Scott was Parks and Rec. And Me but too. everyone I knew was like, oh, Adam Scott is such a dick in these movies and other roles. Like, this is so weird seeing him as Ben Wyatt. But Ben Wyatt was my first Adam Scott. So I'm used to Adam Scott being like a sweetheart. And then I went back and watched Step Brothers, and then I saw him on the good place. And I was like, wait a minute, he's really good at playing the dick. <laughs> I he's
2: know whatever. He's really good at about. being a dick.
0: Is there well, he any was also, other character? He was also
2: bull, one of the bullies on *Park and Boy* Meets world too.
1: He was also um he, he was he actually had like kind of the best of both of those type of roles in *Veronica Mars*. He played yes. yeah he was like this really charming teacher who turned out to be a skis and he has like Total. he bounces yeah. both of those things. I wonder if there's an another actor who like Adam Scott is able to play both just like the sweet, adorable, sincere guy and then the massive dick like out of switched like adam scott
0: yeah i mean ideally like any actor should be able to because mm-hmm. that's their job but i feel like i'm trying to think of any of anyone who has really embodied it yeah. the way adam scott has he really does like you believe it and he is able to sell both of them just so well yeah
2: he I is think this this is re- not exactly the same as being a dick versus a nice person. But I think Andy Samberg is really good at being immature and then mature. Yeah, like he's he very
1: he
2: good can he's very good at being the teenager that just woke up on SNL, <laughs> as well as being like a very mature adult who knows what his place in like one of the most recent episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine, when like like the 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 quote unquote Me Too episode, where like he just let he just let um, Amy Amy like talk about her experiences and mm-hmm. he was there to, to support her and you know was, was was funny when he had to be but also serious when he needed to be and again so i, th- I that... thought like he he's a he's a very good versatile actor that i feel like if you only knew him from snl you'd be like who's this joker
0: <laughs> yeah no exactly. agreed and again you know jake and amy that romantic relationship once they got together on Brooklyn nine they stayed together and the show has not weakened from it at all and you know now they work in different departments so you see them together kind of a little bit less but they are still such a wonderful couple and it doesn't take away from like jake and amy's relationships with other characters it's not like them getting together has focused the show like on their romantic relationship they still have individual relationships with everyone else in the nine nine mm-hmm. and i think that's really special and i mean i even see it with some of the smaller couples like uh, raymond holt and kevin they're so like, I love them they're so sweet I always joke that like my girlfriend and I if we were any Mike Shear couple we would be Raymond and Kevin <laughs> and my girlfriend is Holt and I am Kevin I love that. so <laughs> um and you know they're just really sweet and again like especially nice for me just to see like a gay couple on screen that is just together and supports each other and you know has a relationship like any other can we just talk about Andre Bauer
1: for a second because he is just so good in this season i mean he's been great in every season but he makes a meal out of every line that he that he delivers i thought he was just up like hilarious in this most recent episode when he was trying to describe his wife's like heavy breasts and, and giant yes fan. oh my god this is so funny <laughs> oh god and he's just
2: he's I, so like, good he deserves I not an, emmy. an emmy i know Crime. He
0: needs to win an Emmy for this role. Like, I know he's won an Emmy before,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, before Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because, you know, Andre Brower's been around a while, and he is always good in whatever he does. But, like, give him that comedy Emmy, please. Yes. For Captain Raymond Holt. He is brilliant. He's so good. And, like, it's funny because he, you know, he's decidedly
1: loosened up since the first season, but he still maintains that, that particular robotic Raymond Holt to him and that's something that's just like amazing to achieve because you could see him being like more wacky but at the same time it's in that really stoic style that he does and I don't know how he does it but it's amazing.
0: Yeah, he's, agreed. He's
2: just that just that excellent and deserves every Emmy, every season of every episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: Exactly. And I think that's another great thing is like the material that Mike Schur creates for these actors for like an Andre Brower or like for Ted Danson on The Good Place, who, mm-hmm. what did he win an Emmy, Golden Globe? He won a Golden Probably Globe. Probably a
2: Golden Globe.
0: I yeah, think. I don't
2: think he won an Emmy. These these shows are criminally under emmy
0: They really are. Parks and Rec especially. Yes.
2: Oh yeah. Oh my
0: god, the fact that Amy Poehler never won an Emmy it's is unbelievable.
2: A crime. Like a crime. It should have but... been John Hamm wins Best Actor in. Amy Poehler wins Best Actress that year, and it didn't happen, and I'm very sad.
0: It's, we're all gonna look back on that year and forever be like, we made a mistake.
2: Yep. It's like, what the fuck is this? What is this Green Book shit? (laughs)
0: Exactly. Honestly. 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 But yeah, like, the material he creates is just, it really, you know, it lets these actors, you know, shine in ways, and you know, we talk about, like, the evolution of characters, and I think, you know, The Good Place is, it's a little bit different seeing The Evolution because it's much more of a cerebral show dealing with ideas of, like, morality and ethics and mortality. Mm -hmm. Right,
2: like, the theme of this show is that people do get better. Yeah. Whereas with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and and, uh, Parks and Rec, it's sort of, like, casually, over the course of seven years, these characters have become better people without it being like impl- or or like explicitly stated mm. like the good place that's exactly what the show is all about is yeah. about these it's... four people who are kind of the, the worst besides cheating really it coming together and becoming the best
1: the good place is really interesting to me because i feel like it's mike sure um looking at his shows and kind of deconstructing them in yes. The Good Place. Like, you see the will-they-won't-they they couple who are really good and really sweet together, and they get together early on, and then they they get taken apart over and over again and keep coming back. And that's something that I found, like, really fascinating and, like, a subversion of both what he does in his sitcoms and what, like, other sitcoms do. um, And that, like, the whole will-they-won't-they they thing and trying to, like keep them apart, put them back together. Is that the crux of the show? That kind of thing. And uh, also with what Willoughby was saying with like the explicit um, depiction of people getting better and people being able to improve and stuff, which is something we've seen happen in his shows and it's kind of a a given with his shows. And here he like explicitly examines and deconstructs it in The Good Place. So it's kind of like his magnum
0: opus in a way. It is. And I mean, again, with like the punching up, like, you know, like what are you saying? Like these these four main humans like all have like they very big flaws, mm-hmm. but Mike sure never depicts them in a way where they are like impossible to root for or that they are like inherently bad people. Like Eleanor might be one of the worst, but <laughs> her growth is incredible to watch, and you know especially her relationship with Cheezy. For me, I love Eleanor and Cheedy. Yeah so much and again like you said deconstruct the world they won't they because like them being torn apart is not kind of like a all the dramatic like breakups and miscommunications and cheating on each other and like all the other things you see in tv shows it's literally the universe pulling them apart and how they find their way back to each other Mm -hmm. but even characters like tahani who is one of my favorite characters i love tahani so much and she's not a bad person and Mike sure makes it known that like, even with her flaws, you can still root for her. You can still love her. You know, she still has come to develop such this of this love for her fellow humans in this group and, you know, wants to be there for them. And in this last season with Jason and Tahani and Janet and that little triangle in the way that it was never made out to be like a angsty triangle And Tahani basically was like, I love you guys. Like, I just want you to be happy. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need, you know, to fight for Jason or anything. And it's it's that kind of stuff where, like, even when he depicts characters who have moral failings, he's still punching up with them and he's still making them
2: good people. Mm
0: -hmm. It's very special. And
2: he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too with the bad place people. He still gets to have, like, the quote-unquote punching down but you know that you're not supposed to be rooting for the bad place people so like he's there they're they're still able to like kind of get that humor but from like the office or like other like you know like you know almost not cringy but just sort of like meaner humor but it's never that's never his point of view as a writer or as a showrunner it's not the point. It's not the point of view of the show. It's the point of view of the bad people. Like if you if you want to be a bad place person, that's not great. So like, you know, it he makes it clear that these people are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like with Adam Scott as the demon who like shows up on Earth, and like is just like the worst. is not that name like Trevor? Uh,
0: tr- yeah, it it's is Trevor. It's Trevor.
2: Yeah. And you I thought get, like what, you what a what go-
0: a terrible name. <laughs>
2: And then you've got Mark Evan Jackson who plays Kevin on the good place, playing Sean, who's like head of um the bad bad place or like close to being the ba- the head of the bad place. Um and it's just like he just hands it up so well in such such great fashion. And he he's got that Andre Brouwer voice of like you could you could make him literally say anything and it's like um like give him an an, an, an Emmy. He's so good. Yeah. He was in Parks and rec as like uh um Mr. Saperstein's lawyer uh oh. in seasons five and six and uh he has progressively had a bigger part in each Mike Shear show which I really appreciate Mark Evan Jackson is underrated
0: I totally agree and Mike Shear. I mean even like even the bit roles in his shows are great like Maya Rudolph as the judge mm-hmm. is oh, she's terrible. so good anything anything that they have jason manzoukas do yes oh my god derek. like both as derek so and derek. as adrian pimento
2: yes and, and as dennis feinstein in parks dennis and rec
0: Feinstein didn't he would like had like the perfumes right right yeah dennis <laughs> feinstein
2: yeah um and his he had like uh yeah <laughs> oh his his name was like dante fierro and he changed it to dennis feinstein because in quote indiana it it sounded more ethnic or whatever like that was the joke and i was like oh that's yikes at uh indiana <laughs> very yikes yep um but yeah no these shows are great and i appreciate the fact that mike sure exists and is writing because i think that especially in like in these times we need shows like the good place and parks and rec and uh brooklyn 99 and to some extent the office to sort of like you know it's not exactly escapist because they do deal with a lot of topical issues that we have to deal with in our lives but you know it's not this it, it shouldn't be purely escapist fun but it should be like moralistic escapist fun in, in a way us... where like you get a le- you get a lesson out of it but you're also entertained it doesn't it doesn't it's not it's not a soapbox
1: yeah it gives us an optimistic vision of what the world can be i think um, I totally agree. Yeah, and that's what I really like about Mike Scherz's shows. Um, There's always an undercurrent of optimism to them.
0: And I wanted to give a quick shout out to not one of his shows, but he also wrote one of the best episodes of Black Mirror. Oh. Because he wrote (laughs) Nosedive. What? Ah. He 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 co-wrote Nosedive with Rashida Jones.
2: Wait Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Might we sure a fine. Black Mirror episode with Rashida Jones? Yep, it's Will Die,
0: the right? one with um, Bryce Dallas, Bryce Dallas Howard. Howard.
2: Right, directed by What's His Face, the guy from Atonement. Yes, Joe Wright. Joe Wright. I thought it was like a Joe Wright, like, you know, written, directed by thing. Mm-mm. I didn't realize. Maybe I heard that Rashida Jones had co-written it, but I didn't realize it was Mike Sher and Rashida Jones. Oh, that's perfect. It's so perfect. It and makes, like, makes more sense now.
0: It makes sense because, like, while it still has kind of the bleak element of Black Mirror that all Black Mirror episodes have, it is probably, like, the most, like, brightly lit of the episodes, and it kind of has, like, the most, like, less bleak surface level before you could really dive into it. Like, it's no White Bear episode of Black Mirror. And it still has that humor. And so I'm like, even when you put him in a very bleak, cynical, sci-fi, British anthology show, he still brings his own Mike Schur to it. And gives you an episode where I don't suddenly want to sob and lie on the floor and consider my own existence in the world <laughs> also fun fact nosedive is also now a board game which i own wow how do you play that board game it's basically like it's like a card it's more of a card game than a board game but it's basically like the cards like give you like certain points oh. in various like things like social or explore like work experience and things like that and you have to go around and you can, like, sabotage other people and, like, lose points and gain points. And, like, at the end, like, whoever has the highest amount of points, you know, as in the nosedive world, wins. So.
2: Wow. You know what game I really want to play from the Mike universe?
1: Cones of, of Dunshire. Dunshire. Cones Everyone of Dunshire. wants to play Cones of It's about the
2: cones. <laughs> it's about the cones. I was it's watching about the, the clip
1: the of cones. that recently. And he's like,
2: I was. It's there, just the Cones of so- Dunshire. Is it might be the best like fake property that exists in a universe in a, like a TV show that needs to be its. I know there was like a Kickstarter to make it real. I don't know that I don't know if that kept going, but like I wanna I want to play Cones of Dunshire with you guys so badly. I would love to I, play Cones of Dunshire. I just, just
0: want to play Cones of Dunshire and All American. Yes.
2: Oh yes, from New Girl. All American. I'm just
0: like I just want to play those so badly. And I know there are rules on the internet for All American. They make zero sense. (laughs) Like like I read them once and
2: I was like, What? Like It's totally Calvin Ball. It's the points are made up and everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like but I really want to play these games. Like I love in universe board games and tabletop and stuff like that and like Mm -hmm. drinking games that are kind of fun and like the the all-american episodes of new girl have always been like secretly like some of the best ones
1: not so secretly the first one had the had the kiss the first kiss oh no
2: that was the second that was the second all-american the first all-american sorry with uh rooney
0: yeah Uh, um you mean the guy that jess should have ended up with Yes. All right, Anya,
1: you believe whatever you want, but I just spent <laughs> about a month watching Nick and Jess clips and
0: thinking Listen, that they are the best. I ship, I can't even like, I, Jess and Russell. No. They are my Nick, OTP of new girl. Nick and Jess. Yes. They have so much chemistry.
2: All about Nick and Jess.
0: Listen, Dermot Mulrooney can have chemistry with anyone or anything
1: yeah, I've yeah, but you kiss Majority like Joe Johnson because no.
2: You mean yes. Jake Johnson? Jake Johnson. <laughs> Joe oh Johnson is the director of the first Avengers and the Rocketeer. My bad. Jurassic I 3. mean
0: Jake Johnson. Guys, HT really wants to kiss Joe Johnson. <laughs> Apparently.
2: Who wouldn't? He made an excellent Captain America movie.
1: <laughs>
0: but anyways, so Jake Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, these games would be great, and like these are the kind of these are the the jokes that like Mike sure gives us. Like the fact that like we can we quote and reference, you know, jokes from all his shows. Like I, you know, talking about calzones, I always have to like
2: quote Ben Wyatt. The low cal- calzone zone.
0: Yeah, the low cal- the calzones calzone zone. betrayed
2: me. Betrayed me.
0: <laughs> and it.
2: It's, it's like a pizza, um, for the intellectual. <laughs>
0: It reminds me of, you know, it reminds me of, of Friends in that way and that, like, we can still quote Friends and bring up jokes from Friends and, you know, I do it with 30 Rock too, but not every sitcom has the lasting ability where you can quote it and reference it. Like, people don't do that with shows like Modern Family or, like, the whole lineup of ABC sitcoms. Like, that doesn't happen with those shows. They, they exist, people watch them, they laugh, and then they kind of forget about them. Mike quote sure one creates...
2: joke from Modern Family. What? Oh, I said quote one joke from Modern Family. You can't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's not that great of a show. No. Although the it's only thing. Only
2: bad really sitcom, funny, I will say. The only bad sitcom that you can quote is the Big Bong Theorem. <laughs>
1: Bazinga,
0: and the Bazinga aren't even that good.
2: No, it's nope. it's, it's a terrible show. Oh.
0: But yeah, so I mean, like you know, I feel like Mike sure is gonna go down in history. Kind of, I mean, it's it's obviously objectively better than Friends, and that it it does not have as many offensive jokes as Friends did in the '90s time period. But it's, I think he's gonna go down kind of in that in that vein of the sitcoms that you can remember and can quote and they will leave a lasting impression on you. And also make sure he took the wise advice from friends and he depicted the best relationship on friends in all his shows, Monica and Chandler who get together, stay together, are wonderful. Unlike the will, they won't, they have Ross and Rachel. So he took like the best bits of friends and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what actually worked on this show. And, now, what didn't work because Ross and Rachel should never be together. They are terrible together. Uh, Rachel, Rachel should have gone to Paris. Rachel should have I'm gone still to Paris. Upset about
1: and it. she should have gotten the spinoff show about her living her best life in Paris.
2: Oh, you mean you didn't want you didn't watch Joey? I actually did
1: watch the first episode of Joey, and it was terrible.
2: Me too. It was the worst. <sighs> Not
0: good. Not good. So. You know, I just, I, I think about sitcoms as a whole genre and like the ones that kind of come and go and leave nothing on the audience and they, they once they end, you kind of forget about them, but not with Mike Sure. Yep. With Mike Sure, we're still going to be quoting Parks and Rec, in The Office, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine for years to come. Yep. And Mike it's Schur, good because it's all positive.
2: The Paddington of showrunners.
1: <laughs> he is. And I think that's a great way to end our discussion about Mike Sure. But before we move on to the last segment of our episodes, we have a word from our sponsors.
2: The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Sweetums. Eat up. It's a lot of sugar.
1: All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Right, well, Anya, I want you to start this start us off with the really like this week because I know you have a big really
0: like that we've all I seen. do have I do have a big one, and I'm going to share it with Willoughby will Um But Willoughby, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the lead if you don't mind.
2: Oh, please do. I go for it. Just I'm <laughs> going to not speak for so for, two, us, for two or three minutes.
0: <laughs> both of us really love Marvel's latest movie in their Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is Captain Marvel, the story of Carol Danvers, brilliantly portrayed by Brie Larson. And this movie means a lot. I, I mean, I loved it in general, and I think it's actually a genuinely good film. And the mixed reviews, I notice, are coming from a lot of men. I will say
1: I kind of gave a mixed review, but I enjoyed it more than I disliked it.
0: Yeah. I, I read your review and it was fair. It was good. It was a good review. Thanks. But, and, you know, and I agree that there is a discussion to be had about, like, the Marvel formula and how long it can last without being kind of redundant. But I am also not one to be critical for this movie. I'm very biased. Um, I'm a Marvel girl through and through. I grew up with the Marvel comics, first and foremost. And, You know, I grew up with the heroes like Captain Marvel, like Spider-Woman, and they are the heroes I grew up loving and admiring. And this is the first time I've gotten to see one of them on the big screen like this with her own movie. And I did not realize how emotional it would make me. Let me tell you, reader, I wept multiple times in this movie sometimes with the movie itself and what was happening and other times it just kind of hit that I was seeing Captain Marvel on screen and I just started crying because I was very verklempt and it's like this is what eight-year-old Anya has been waiting her whole life for and I just thought Brie Larson was wonderful I thought she infused Carol with warmth and compassion and a gentle but resilient strength and I I loved her. I loved her relationship with Maria and with Nick Fury. And the the movie made me laugh and Mendelssohn is hilarious in it. He's so delightful. I know H T loves him. He's my he was my probably my
1: favorite part of that movie. I mean, yes. I love Brie Larson and I love Nick and I especially love her and Sam Jackson and the f- female friendship with Maria Rambo played by Lashana Lynch because they're just it's so rare to see in Marvel, but oh my god,
0: Ben Mendelsohn so was like
1: operating on another level for me and he I was. loved it. He
0: was. he was so great. And so this movie it just it really meant a lot to me. Um you know, and I'm really excited to see what Brie Larson does with Carol, kind of in the bigger Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like seeing her in Endgame, um, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but Marvel in the film surprised me and also made me extremely emotional. So I'm just excited that this is the Captain Marvel and Marvel that little girls are going to get to see on screen and grow up with, and that that means so much to me so I don't just really like captain Marvel I love her her Willoughby what did you like about Captain Marvel share this with me
2: yeah we'll stay we'll, we'll be in the same space here I love this <laughs> movie quite a bit as well um it it like we could yeah we could talk about the Marvel formula The thing is, we've had 20 Marvel, 21 Marvel movies that have a formula, but none of them starred a woman and now we get one. So I I think it's okay that there's like a formula to it. That's fine. The fact that there's representation in this movie that was not previously, you know, fronted by with all these movies, you know, it's, it's so good um Brie Larson is fantastic I'm, I love that she gets to be quippy and badass and like you know say like she gets to have one-liners she gets to like be like kind of have like this righteous fury against anybody with with you know who dislikes her and I'm like I'm so I like I'm so glad that she gets to like cut loose and be like her best self in this movie um Nick Fury is great we we're probably we might I do a full review, so I'm not gonna go too much into it. But the the de aging makeup on Nick Fury is phenomenal. It's very the fact good. that I we could do a like whole they movie like plucked him
1: out of the '90s, and we're just like, yeah, Here, go at it.
2: It's perfect, and like I'm so excited to see. Uh, this is kind of a side note. Scorsese is doing The Irishman with like very similar, like almost like a full movie with like de aged, um, actors, and so I'm I'm very curious to see now like where this is going because like this is like phenomenal like the the fact that we got samuel l jackson from 1995 in this movie is wild to me he's great he's he's like not the nick fury that we know but he is like on his way to being that nick fury and i thought that was really cool um goose the cat we haven't talked about who's goose the cat uh that's a great cat a great cat um, He's more than just a good cat. Fun. He's a great cat. Oh, actually, Goose is actually
1: cat. a girl, according to the oh, directors. Oh yeah, that's
2: right. Mm-hmm. Goose is a re- Goose is a really good girl. Um girl. And yeah, I just think I I think it's great. Um, I you know if we end up doing a full review of it at the end of March, I can't wait to talk more about it with you guys. But I'll just say like, you know, it didn't falter. I think that it is it probably could have been tightened up a little bit but i think that otherwise it was like us you know people are always like oh the Mar," it's just another marvel movie and i'm like think about 11 years ago what we have now is impossible to think of 22 marvel movies with like in the same connected universe that you know I know we complain about Infinity War being, like, a season finale, but I think that they're, th- this whole franchise is doing something different that we've ever seen before. And the fact that we get a Captain Marvel movie set in the 90s with Brie Larson as Captain Marvel and, like, a D.H. Nick Fury, like, we're doing things in these movies that previously unheard of. And so I give it credit for Blazing Some Trails. And for, you know, going down some paths that have been blazed before, but wholly creating a whole new universe. And, like, okay, there's another side tangent. When Anya was texting us last night that she had just come out of seeing Captain Marvel and was so appreciative of it, I was in the Disney store in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, and, like, uh the The front of the whole Disney store was lined with Captain Marvel merchandise, and it was amazing. It was so wonderful to see. Like it was sort of the same thing when you like when Wonder Woman came out, where like, there's representation now for women in these superhero movies, and I'm very excited and I can't wait for more.
0: It's yeah, it's a lot,
1: and it's so wonderful. Yeah. I'm really happy that you guys liked it, and um, it won't be my really like for this week, but I have something a little bit, uh, some, some things that I've been kind of different. obsessing over, and it's, it, it's something that aren't, I can't say is even as good as Captain Marvel, but it's something I've been enjoying recently, and these Bring this is um, it's actually kind of a twofer, so I've been watching two K-dramas. <sighs> I know, I'm breaking my own rule. Um, Two romantic K-dramas recently. One on Netflix, one on this streaming service called Viki, V-I-K-I. So the Viki one is called Touch Your Heart. And um, you you guys might remember when I was obsessed with Goblin last year or two years oh, yeah. ago um i still love it it's still my favorite k genre ever and uh it's something that i was considering rewatching recently but i don't have to because i have touch your heart which stars the so the second leads of um goblin the the sort of supporting uh couple of the series who in goblin had a very tragic romance one that ended in just loss of tears and crying and um just like no happiness in this current life they get reincarnated, reincarnated later and get a a better happy life but in touch your heart starring lee dong wook and um yu ina who will star in goblin as i said before uh this is the fluffy sugary saccharin series that um and romance that you didn't we didn't get with Goblin and it's basically like a fan fiction of that couple in Goblin come to life it stars these two people as um you and Oh stars as an actress who is um kind of like washed up her, her career has been derailed by a drug scandal and she's attempting to have a comeback but to make that comeback in a big legal drama by this great writer she has to uh, work at a law firm shadow at a law firm for 3 months and the lawyer that she gets paired with is Lee Dong Long Wuk, who um is a very taciturn um very work oriented lawyer and of course they fall in love and it's great i love it um there is basically zero substance to this drama it has some kind of fun um sort of jane the virgin-esque like genre satirizing moments where it kind of talks about like the acting industry and has kind of fun imaginative parts where you and a's character imagines like big romantic scenarios because she's only ever been an actress in her entire life and she doesn't have a lot of experience with the real world so she imagines all these very like dramatic um situations and that's kind of like adds a little fun to it but it is like the equivalent of snorting a bunch of sugar <laughs> this this drama is but it's so fun and um Every time something cute happens between this t- this couple, I say, "Oh my god, I love this drama! I hate this drama! It's so cute." <laughs> so, um, a good a good pairing with this drama, with Touch Your Heart, is a Netflix drama called uh, Romance Is a Bonus Book, and this one is actually really interesting because it is about a. Um, Thirty-seven-year-old divorced woman um, who kind of lost everything in the divorce, and she's trying to re-enter the job field, but is finding after being a housewife for eleven years and being out of the job industry, she is having a lot of difficulty like getting hired, and it's this really interesting sort of, um, almost commentary on ageism and like the fast-paced and kind of youth-focused. Uh, work field and like economy and stuff um and um so this this character um her name is danny she um basically turns to her childhood friend who is a successful editor at this publishing company and she gets a job at his work by fudging her resume and pretending that she doesn't have a college degree to work at this really low paying job and uh so she like ends up because she's destitute she ends up living with him and uh there sparks fly of course but of course <laughs> and it's actually really interesting because it's um, a y- older woman younger man romance which is Ooh. a really nice trend that i'm starting to see emerge more in k dramas and i'm very much enjoying there's a drama last year that i really liked called something in the rain which had a similar dynamic but kind of fell to a lot of just over dr- overwrought drama. Um, and uh, I think before, there was this drama called Descendants in the Sun, which was really popular, that had an older woman, younger man. And uh, I'm really enjoying that dynamic, um, although I feel like the leads in Romance as a Bonus Book doesn't have quite as much chemistry as, like, the previous dramas but I'm realizing that it's okay because the romance is almost like superfluous to this I don't really care about the romance in this series but I find her workplace sort of storyline really interesting and how she's trying to like get back into this field and get back into working after being away from so long and like dealing with that ageism and stuff and um that's really interesting to me it reminds me of how much I liked Agra and how it dealt with like the microaggressions of work and um romances bonus book kind of does something similar. So and That's it has like fun awesome. little yeah, it has a fun little insight to like it's not really like accurate insights to the publishing industry, but there's like some fun moments where they that are surprisingly accurate. Um and I, I enjoyed that a lot. So and they had there was just a new episode that was released yesterday that actually brought me to tears. Not over a romance subplot, but because of a work the work storyline and I was like, God, I'm crying over her job <laughs> So Some actually, shit right there. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I actually recommend that one if you want to check it out. It's on Netflix. So that's my, my twofer of K-dramas. They both inspired me to wear a lot of turtlenecks right now because the yep. fashion in these shows is great. And it's all like, both of them are workplace dramas. So they all have very like practical clothes that are like, oh, I could do that. I have those items. <laughs> and um, I'm going to look
0: like a K-drama star. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well... That is our episode for the week, listeners. If you guys have any thoughts on Mike Shore or other things you guys are enjoying, like Captain Marvel or K-dramas, like Vicky or Romance is a Bonus Book. It's actually Touch Your Heart is the first one. Touched Your Heart.
1: Wait, yeah. what did I... You said Vicky, which is the streaming service
0: that it's on. Oh, whoops. <laughs> okay. I you want to watch any K-dramas, like Romance is a Bonus Book, and Touch Your Heart. Yes. Come chat with us about that, specifically HT. Um, and where can they come talk to us, Willby?
2: You could find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You could rate, review, subscribe, and listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the internet?
0: You can find me at HTrenBui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter.
2: And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.